living our vision, part two, from John chapter 9, verses 18 to 41. So this morning we look at the second half of the story that we began last week regarding the man who was born blind and who was subsequently healed by Jesus. We mentioned that there was a a certain indifference how the whole story started. There was a certain amount of indifference in the way that the disciples, as they were going by with Jesus, the disciples made a point. He was an illustration, I suppose, for a philosophical question, uh, for a, a theological discussion, a way for them to test their theodicy. And those who were here last week would remember what theodicy was all about. It's the way that God interacts with human beings and for human beings trying to understand the behaviour of, of God or how he does things with humans in the context, particularly in the context of suffering. For Jesus, however, the blind person was more than just a topic of discussion. He was a person. More than that, he will be a witness to the glory of God. So he stopped, spoke to him, touched him, healed him. It just so happens that the healing, like many that Jesus did, happened on the Sabbath. And there was a a, a procedure to the healing. There was this whole procedure. Jesus could have just spoken and the guy could have been healed, but there was a procedure. There was the spit, the mud, putting it on his eyes, the instruction to go and and wash in the pool of Siloam, which the whole process was sent to the pool called Sent, and then this guy will be sent to be a witness to the glory of God. The healing by in itself didn't take all that long, but the rest of the chapter, the rest of the passages, is occupied with the discussion, the arguments, the investigation that ensued, and this is going to be the one that, that, that draws out these words from Jesus in the last three verses of the chapter. And we're going to actually begin with those three verses. So he, this is the way that this whole thing develops. The neighbours question the man, the Pharisees question the man, the Pharisees question the parents of the man before questioning the man again. And then Jesus questions the man and finally the Pharisees get to Jesus. Jesus is the one who started all the problem for them by healing this poor man not just the healing, but the day in which he was healed. And we see the faith of this person, this man, develop, progress. It grows, it gradually grows to the point that he acknowledges who Jesus really is. And, and it's wonderful to see the growth of this person. And there is an interesting correlation between the physical and the spiritual dimensions here. Let me explain a little bit of what I've 
of what I mean. There was a book uh, written by a neurologist, uh, Oliver Sacks, who told the story about Virgil. Virgil was a man who had been blind from early childhood. When he was about 50, Virgil underwent surgery and was given the sight, the, the gift of sight, which was wonderful. But as he and as Dr. Sachs found out, having the physical capacity for sight is not the same as seeing. There's a whole lot of stuff in the brain that needs to be able to, to, to process the image that has been captured by the eyes. Virgil's first experiences with sight were confusing. He was able to make out colours and movements, but arranging them into a coherent picture was much more difficult. Over time, he learned to identify various objects, but his habits, his behaviours were still those of a blind man. And Dr. Sachs went on to say, one must die as a blind person to be born again as a seeing person. It is the interim between one and the other that is, is so hard to put up with, that is so, so the process that, that makes it so terrible. Now notice the man's understanding with regards to the identity of who Jesus is as he progressed. In verse 11, he says, Jesus is a man. In verse 17, the next step, he is a prophet. In verse 32, he is greater than Moses. Verse 33, this man is from God. In, in verse 36, he addresses Jesus as sir, which is the language of Lord, the Lordship. And then, in verse 38, he basically recognises Jesus as the Messiah, the promised one, so he worships him. And this wonderful story is here because we all need to understand that there is something far worse, far worse than physical blindness. And it is spiritual blindness. We live in a country that, thank God, has been able to offer a lot of services for people who have disabilities of one kind or another. And in fact, rather than seeing them as cursed as they did in that day and as people with certain handicaps are seen in the world today as cursed, they just simply abandon. In many parts of the world, that's exactly the way it is. Cursed by God. And in fact, uh, we, we have now the, the, the games called the Invictus Games where actually people who have suffered uh, terrible injuries are able to play games and, and be able to encourage each other and, and actually celebrate the fact that they're still alive and they've survived so much, which is, I think it's great. In many parts of the world, it's not like that. And in fact, history, history... Throughout history, people who were like this are simply just turned to become beggars. That's on the physical. 
But when it comes to the spiritual handicap, the spiritual blindness, it's much, much more serious. So to begin the story, we'll begin at the dramatic ending. So we'll begin at the end. Some of the movies have this technique these days. They start with the final scene and then go back to the beginning of how it, that leads up to that. That's sort of what we're going to do. Um, I think this story lends itself to that. So in verses 37 to 39, we have the great reversal. Jesus said, oh, sorry, verses um, 30, 30, uh, 39 to 41, 39 to 41. Jesus said, for judgment I have come into this world so that the blind will see and those who see will become blind. And some of the Pharisees who were with him heard him say and asked, what, are we blind too? And Jesus said, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt, your guilt remains. This notion that in the end God will turn everything we know upside down is known as the great reversal. God has a tendency to flip the pancakes, dar la vuelta a la tortilla, you know, like the other side. It is, in fact, a hallmark in, in Luke's Gospel that we also find here in John. We start with this challenge because it's a challenge that we need to be reminded quite often. It doesn't take long for humans to fancy themselves wise and powerful. And one of the tragedies of any age is the arrogance of men of, of knowledge who claim to know but who cannot see their hand before their eyes. And this is the blindness that our our Lord refers to here. In Matthew 11, in Matthew 11, 25, Jesus prayed. It's a wonderful, it's a wonderful prayer of Jesus to the Father. And And he says, he's just filled with joy. I praise you, he says, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven on earth, because you have hidden, you have hidden, read blind, blinded, hidden these things from the wise and the learned and reveal them and reveal them to little children. This is the great reversal. There's a lot of great reversals. This is one of them. And when we're reading the scriptures, we ought to recognize how, how desperately how desperate is our need to be taught that we are, our, our eyes are open, that our, our hearts, instead of being hardened, are actually open to truth. Not any truth, but the truth of God. So we need to be taught by God, by the Holy Spirit, because when truth is, is spoken, as we are doing now, that you accept it as coming indeed from God, not just Paul Mosesuk, because Paul Mosesuk is, is fallible. He can make all sorts of mistakes. Some people like me, a lot of people don't. But if this is the truth of the Word of God, don't let the truth be, don't block yourself to the truth because of the messenger, because ultimately God is the one to whom you will have to give account to. 
Whether you like my presentation or not, that is irrelevant. This is nourishment, this is food, this is survival stuff. You need to accept it. Same when we are reading the scriptures. We ought to recognise how desperately we are in need of God to be taught by him to, for his word to, to be infused digested he is able to open our eyes if we admit our struggle to see but if we think we know there's a self confidence, a pride that sets in and it starts to say that we don't need any help, then what happens is that we come under judgment. We're actually stumbling into blindness, just like the Pharisees. Evidence of this blindness is all around in the world around us. There's evidence of this Unfortunately, the blindness is also starting to creep into the church, which is very sad. So let's look at the reaction of different people to the healing. The parents display fear, verses 18 to 23. They still did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. Verse 18. Is this your son, they asked? Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it that he can now see? Remember how the whole thing started. The question was, did this man sin or his parents that he was born blind? In the literary brilliance of John, he brings the parents into the story. And to be questioned by the Gestapo, the, the Pharisees have to build up a case, you see, or else they're in trouble. Uh, as far as they're concerned, it didn't really matter whether someone could see or not, whether this guy was dead, they couldn't care less. So after questioning his parents, their greatest fear was confirmed. Yes, he is the son, and yes, he was indeed born blind, but we don't actually know by whom or how he was healed. Now, based on their fearful and untruthful response, it, it indicates that they did know who opened his eyes, but they were scared. They lied and refused to say because they were afraid. I'm actually surprised they didn't disown their own son. What? He's not our son. You ever done that to your child? No, he's not my child. Their son was a beggar. 
begged on the streets. No hope. He lived decades like this. Dependent on others for a lot of things, most things. And he is now physically able to resume a normal life. Get married, have kids, give grandkids to mum and dad. He's getting his life together. Anyone else, anyone else, if you put yourself in that circumstance, anyone else would be ecstatic over the moon. But it appears that the excitement of having their own son see them and and recognise their face for the first time, being able to make eye contact, this whole excitement just wore off too quickly, too quickly. So here again, fallen, fearful, weak humanity is on display as people continue to be blind to God's marvellous work. Another reaction is scorn from the Pharisees, verses 24 to 34. Second time, this is verse 24 to 25. Second time they summoned the man who had been blind, give glory to God by telling the truth. They said, we know this man is a sinner. And he replied, whether he is a sinner or or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. This desperate search for, for evidence so they could convict Jesus has brought them back to square one. They, they actually make five attempts to discredit the miracle. Five attempts. Verse 10, verse 15, verse 17, verse 24, verse 25. And here they confidently affirm, they say, we know, we know this man is a sinner. This was their preconceived conclusion In contrast, this man replied, I don't know. They know, he doesn't know. This man doesn't want a theological argument. He simply tells them his story of what Jesus did. And I think this is one of the the greatest models we have of how to bear witness as a believer. Because that's what a witness is, to tell others of what Jesus has done in our lives. Many people are afraid to say anything about Jesus, a bit like the parents, because they feel they're going to be dragged into this, oh, here we'll have to defend ourselves. So the simple way is that, I don't know, ask the pastor, he knows. I don't know, just Google it, okay? Many people are afraid to say anything because they think that they're going to get into a theological arguments that 
They're going to be over their head. Now, we can, we can learn stuff, how to make a defence of the gospel. We've been doing some of this stuff at night, actually. But witness is simply doing what this man did, saying what Jesus did for you. That, that is all. I was blind, but now I see. Words of John Newton. Amazing grace. That is what a witness is. I was blind, but now I see. You are the world's greatest authority on what happened to you. As someone else has said, a man with an experience is never at the mercy of a man with only an argument. When you stand on your experience, no one can deny that the Lord, what the Lord has done in your life. No one can deny, and some of you here know what I'm talking about. You are a positive, powerful witness for Christ. And this man teaches us great things in that regard. And suddenly he finds himself teaching them about the man called Jesus. He's progressed in his assessment of Jesus from a prophet to someone who has come from God. If he did not come from God, he could do nothing. The man begins to enjoy himself as he actually taunts the Pharisees because he's growing in confidence, you see. Because, you see, this, this miracle... In all of history, nothing like this has happened. So he says, do you also want to become his disciples? This has never happened in the history that somebody born blind could see and they're trying to invalidate the whole miracle, everything else, because Jesus didn't sign the register properly. He didn't put his DA in before he did the miracle. He didn't do what you thought he ought to do on the Sabbath. It's like giving someone a, a big rock, like a diamond priceless diamond, a magnificent diamond and having it rejected by your loved one because the box it came in or maybe it wasn't even a box, maybe the diamond was inside a, a plastic bag. You reject the, the present because you reject the diamond because of the encasing. Such is the blindness of so many people, isn't it? And what was their response? You were born in sins and you are teaching us. You were born in sin. Remember the first question? Did he sin or did his parents sin? So they kicked him out, excommunicated him from the synagogue. And this is just another fulfilment of the words of Jesus that the world, rather than love us, they will hate us on account of him, because of him. But this man, something tells me he didn't care too much 
How about their reaction? Kick me out of the synagogue? Fine. That's great. And he comes to the next step, which is worship. This is the man he is worshipping. Verses 35, it says, Jesus heard that they had thrown him out, and when he found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. And Jesus said, You have seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking to you. And when the man said, Lord, I believe, he worshipped him. This is, a, this is a beautiful, tender scene. It's beautiful. At first he was a man called Jesus, then a prophet. He come from God. Now he's a son of man. Remember that up to this point, this man has never seen Jesus. He went to the pool in Siloam and from there he just went elsewhere. All that he would recognise was his voice, somewhat. And the Good Shepherd, which is this story, is a leading to John chapter 10. And remember that in the original writings there was no chapter separation, it was just a flow on story. This is the Good Shepherd. Jesus sought him out. Just as in chapter 5 he sought out the, the paralytic, he sought him out because the physical healing is not the main point. It, it, it's the, the, the physical healing is, is, is trivial compared to the spiritual healing that Jesus is leading this person through. And, and this guy is ready for the greatest discovery of his life. So he asks, who is he, sir? Tell me so that I may believe in him. And Jesus says, you have now seen him and he's the one speaking with you. Think about how Jesus used that phrase, seen him to a man who was born blind. You have seen him. We're making eye contact. And, and it's more than just physical, isn't it? This is, this is spiritual. You have already seen him in, in, in a spiritual sense, but now you are looking at him and it's all the physical, the spiritual, it's all connected. His, the scale from his eyes have fallen. He's able to surrender to Jesus and say, I believe. I believe. And he worshipped him. His, this fellow has reached the highest level in his appreciation for the Lord. He's already paying the price, remember? Kicked out this fellowship from the synagogue, excommunicated all of that. He's going to pay a higher price, no doubt. But he worships. His heart surrendered. That worship is... is is the natural response of the heart surrendered to God. Remember at the beginning of the story, we begin with the speculation that was being aired about this fellow's suffering. And Jesus said, this happens so that the work of God 
might be displayed in his life. He's a poster for God's work. We begin with speculation, we conclude with worship. What a a marvellous journey that is, isn't it? From speculation to conviction. It it is one thing, it is one thing to heal a man physically. And and, and this is is what annoys me. It it troubles me that so much of what the the type of evangelism, so-called evangelism in the world today, has got to do with healing. People, you know, come and see miracles. Come for this miracle. Come for that prosperity. Come and this and come for that and everything else. But very few travel the journey to worship the Lord because all they want is the healing and bang, off they go. That's a cheap gospel. I would rather have people... I know this sounds horrible, it sounds terrible, insensitive, it'll be in the news. I would rather have people blind but seeing Jesus. People paralysed but jumping for joy to his praises. Nothing can stop that. Nothing. Because we're able to see we're able to see through the eyes of faith. One thing to heal a man physically, it is another matter entirely for there to be a healing of the heart. And this is, it's a, it's a, it's a much higher miracle because of its eternal implications. This is not just about this life. Eventually, the physical eyes of this man will be six foot under. They will be shut physically. Same as your eyes and my eyes. But the spiritual eyes will will contemplate the full glory of God. As soon as they they shut to this world, it will be just a, a transition to the glory of God in its fullness. Remember how the Paul Mosichip translation, you will die but you will not be there when it happens. It's just bang. There's no purgatory. It's just bang, alright? The glory of God in its fullness. Final thoughts. Someone wrote, God bends and moulds evil to his will. I know, this sounds troubling, doesn't it? so as to bring out of it the very highest good of all creation. And he says, In the holy purpose of God, evil has proved and will yet be proved to be the the hinge upon which the door is open upon the full glory of the great Creator. Infirmity and suffering and trial and tribulation are not just a, a cause or accidental condition of the universe, They have a meaning and a purpose which one day will be fully declared when all of the works of God are finished. End of quote. God can do his work even in the most difficult and tragic moments in life. 
And he does. John Owen, one of the great Puritans, had um, 11 kids. 11 kids, 10 of them died while they were children. The last one died when she was 24, 25. Lost all his children to illness and he continued to serve the Lord and to be a magnificent figure in difficult times in England and Great Britain and indeed the rest of the world. Don't tell me that this person hasn't earned his stripes in real life. Why, Lord? To bring glory to my name. God can do his work even in the most difficult and tragic moments in life, yet it is because of tragedy that many people try to escape life through different means. The gospel is not a ticket to escape from life, but rather to be fully immersed and seeing life as it truly is, the reality that the world tries to avoid so much. Christian faith is the way of looking at the common experiences of life through the eyes of Jesus. So even, even a person on the side of the road is not just a common person, it's someone for whom Jesus died. Now listen to these words, and I want to conclude very shortly. Listen to these words. Take the world, but give me Jesus. In his cross my trust shall be, till with clearer, brighter vision, face to face, my Lord, I see. Does anybody know this, the words of this hymn? This was written by Fanny Crosby, who wrote more than eight, thousand hymns. When Fanny was only six weeks old, there was a minor, she had a minor eye inflammation uh, develop. Unfortunately, the doctor botched the operation and she became totally and permanently blind for the rest of her life. But Fanny Crosby carried no bitterness against the physician. In fact, she once said of him, if I could, and I quote, she said, if I could meet him now, I would say thank you over and over again for making me blind. Wow! She felt that her blindness was a gift from God to help her write the hymns that flowed from her pen. Her eyes were shut, but her mind was open, her heart was open to God's revelation and she blessed the church in so many ways. According to those who knew Miss Crosby probably would have refused, she would have refused treatment even if, it was, even if she was assured that she would be restored, she probably would have refused it, they say. She triumphed over her handicap and used it to the glory of God. Instead of becoming a bitter person, she became an infinitely better person. And even though our physical vision might be diminishing and the fact that we're wearing glasses is a sure sign of that. Take the world but give me Jesus in his cross my trust shall be till with clearer, brighter vision. This is a blind person writing. Face to face 
my Lord, I see. And we await that wonderful moment, don't we? We await that. My prayer is that we might also see God's handiwork displayed even the common things in life. See things with different eyes, not like the rest of the world. Displayed in the lives of others, in his church, in our community, so that people will give praise and honour to God. Amen.